You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksStation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. First man up on guest week here on uh, on Locked On Bucks. You know him and love him from Pewter Report and the Pewter Nation podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Maddie 4 underscore Matera, Matt Matera. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well, guys. Thank you for having me on and hope you guys are staying safe during these crazy times in the pandemic. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely trying to doing doing all we can. But man, four kids cooped up in the house all the time is what nightmares are made of. Oh, man, I can't even imagine that. You know, it's actually funny. I'm kind of uh, I'm sure you guys have seen like the memes or the posts on social media about people talk about social uh, was it social distancing or something. And, and they're like, it's funny because uh, we've been doing this now for a week and I've noticed little to no change in my life. I'm that guy. So there <laughs> really hasn't been too big of an impact on me. But Matt, yeah, thanks for joining us. Of course, it's been too long since we got to talk. There's been a lot of stuff going on and we wanted to bring you on uh, talk about the offense today. And first things first, going over the offseason and, and the first burst of free agency, uh, obviously a few things happened, right? The Buccaneers secured their really their their entire tight end group, uh, bringing back Anthony Auclair, Tanner Hudson, reworking Cameron Brait's contract. Uh, he graciously took a pay cut to stay with the team. Uh, the Buccaneers signed uh, some offensive line depth, maybe potentially a starter, I don't know, in Joe Haig from the Indianapolis Colts. And then uh, they added a quarterback to the roster right here. So, Matt, I mean... First off, like uh, the recap of the moves, your reactions to them, and what are your thoughts on everything that uh, Jason Light and the Buccaneers have done so far? Yeah, I would probably put Tanner Hudson first, and then that guy, Brady, eh, a distant second, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is all about Tom Brady. Th- this is arguably probably the biggest free agent move that the Bucks have really done you know, in their history of this franchise, this, this shows that the Bucks are truly going all in. Um, just the, I mean, the, the Patriots have the Patriot way, and I'm not saying Brady's going to bring the full Patriot way to the Bucks, but he's bringing elements of it. The fact that, you know, they have these core players and, and we're going to break down for weeks about, how Brady will work with, with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and the tight ends and everything. But really just the impact that Brady's going to have on this locker room where they're going to be, not that they weren't in the past with Jameis as the quarterback, um, but they're going to be a little more, everything's going to be tightened up a little more. Everything, the focus is going to be even that much sharper because Brady demands the best, he expects the best, and above all else, he's a proven winner. This shows that the Bucks are all in, and it's a two-year deal, so they got two years to really go all in. And it sent, I don't want to say shockwaves, but it is for real now. You know, this is this is the, the closest that the Bucks will be in terms of trying to get to the playoffs that they really have been in the past decade. We know we haven't they haven't been there in that long, but this move with Brady, 
obviously on the field, it's going to have its effects and we can get into that. But I, I, I think I'm most intrigued by the, the psyche and the mentality that he's going to bring to this locker room. Uh, moving on from there, the tight end, Bucks have a really stacked tight end group. I mean, you just mentioned all the guys, great uh, restructuring his contract. They're bringing all Claire back, Tanner Hudson. You even go past that. I mean, you got Cody McElroy, a guy that used to play college basketball, uh, a really diverse athlete in what he can do. Uh, he got in a game last year just because of all the, the injuries that went to the Bucs. And then you have Jordan Leggett there, too. So a ton of depth on uh, on the Bucks roster at tight end. Interested to see what goes on with Anthony Alclair because he's their best blocking tight end. But he's he's been, he was progressing in the passing game as well up until he got hurt with the turf toe that put him on the IR. And the move with Joe Haig is great, too. He's coming over from the Colts. Uh, he has starters experience. He's started for the first two years uh, in his career and then came into a backup role. But I think you're going to see with the Bucks most likely drafting a, a right tackle in, in that first round of the draft, uh, they're going to have some really good depth for the, uh, the backup roles for the offensive line. So a lot of the free agency, I know we're talking about the offense, but even with the defensive moves that they've made, a, a lot of it has really just been bringing back their uh, pieces to the team that have already been on the team, but that that's a good sign of showing, hey, you know, we, we've found these guys, we've cultivated them in, in, in most of these cases. And the fact that they want to bring them back, it shows the core is here. And then you went out and got the big fish, or I guess I should say the big goat in this case with Brady. So it's um, been all positive, in my opinion, for the uh, for the Bucks free agency so far. Yeah, I think that that continuity piece, like you were talking about, is going to be big, especially with the the improvement we saw kind of across most of the position groups last year. Getting them in training camp again with a year under their belt in the system, with the coaching, et cetera, I think is going to be huge. Um, yeah, you talk about offensive line depth, man. I mean, I, we were all talking at training camp last year about how much this line was in trouble with their depth. I mean, it was just it was it was really really bad. Um, I don't study offensive lines across the NFL, obviously, but. Uh, I feel like it was probably one of the worst, you know, depth pieces. When you talk about the depth of the offensive line, I feel like the Bucks probably had one of the shallowest pools out there. Talk about tight ends, though, Matt. So in your in your battle plan on Pew Report, there, uh, I love I, I love those by the way. Every year they're they're amazing. Oh, thank you, you mentioned, yeah, definitely. You mentioned potentially trading Cambray, and obviously tight end trades is a conversation that I think all of us have had. And I know me personally, I was more on the trade Cambray. Uh, side of it of the house pretty much the same thing like you said because OJ does have so much upside and I still believe there is so much upside even though you'll get less in a trade for Cam Bray. obviously Cam most likely not going anywhere right I don't think the team's going to ask him to take a pay cut and then trade him that'd be uh, you know kind of a, a bad move so OJ now do you think there's still a potential maybe you know if, if the right caller comes with the right price that they're willing to pay that we see OJ get moved or do you think we're we're set with the with the wide receiver nu- or the tight end nucleus that we have I mean if someone hits up Jason Light and says hey we'll give you two first round picks for OJ Howard I mean sure Jason Light is going to listen to that and probably ultimately take a deal like that I mean really with the exception of a couple of people on this roster if if the right if the Bruce Aarons used to always say if the uh, if the price is right and the deal is real, you can never say never. But yeah. no, I I think OJ is going to stay. I mean, we've seen in Tom Brady's career how much he utilizes the tight ends, and usually in in a two tight end system. Obviously, it was led by Rob Gronkowski, but you know he had guys like Ben Watson and uh, Martellus Bennett there too. So 
with Brady's uh, propensity to use tight ends, I, I don't see OJ really going anywhere. And on top of that, yes, OJ had a, a down year last season, but I think in football and in society, really, we want we want the, we want everything to happen instantly. We want demands right away. And I think sometimes when someone doesn't perform up to expectations, we're quick to just dismiss them and then go and find a replacement. Uh, I'll try to wrap it up a little bit. But, I mean, look at Ronald Jones in his rookie year. If Ronald Jones was a later-round pick, a fourth- or fifth-round pick, there's a chance Ronald Jones gets cut and doesn't even make it to the 2019 season. You could also take the cornerback class, for example, with the way that Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting and, and Jamel Dean struggled. I mean, they were playing because the Bucs didn't have another option with the veteran corner. And we were saying how much they are struggling. And then look how they turned it around in the second half of the season. And Rashad Perryman, for that matter, too. I mean, people were ready to cut him three weeks into the season. And then he obviously had a great ending. So I guess that's a long way of saying that I'm a kind of a firm believer that you can't just give up on a guy right away, uh, especially with a talent like OJ. Because we, we know what he can do. We can see the talent that he brings. Now he's just got to... This has got to be his breakout year. We are joined by Pewter Reports, Matt Matera. Matt, we take a look at the free agent landscape on the offensive side of the ball for the Buccaneers. Obviously, Joe Haig was was a nice get for the Bucs after getting Tom Brady. But when when people point to the two holes still on this, to the two biggest holes, I should say, still on this team, it's the right tackle position and it's running back. Of course, you can make the argument for the third wide receiver. We don't know if Rashad Perryman is going to return, if he is going to look for the big payday. I don't expect him to return, but I'm not going to rule it out by any means. But you take a look at the at the right tackle position and the running back position, and there are still some guys out there. And and somebody like Jason Peters has been getting a lot of buzz from Bucks fans. I don't know how comfortable I would be signing a 38 year old right tackle to replace Demar Dotson, who is younger. Uh, but Peters has been a just an absolute beast throughout his career. When you take a look at the current free agency landscape, who are some guys that you're looking at, whether it could be a potential starter or a depth piece or some of these guys that the Buccaneers might pursue? So it's really interesting in in terms of the offensive side of the ball, which we're talking about. While they do have to address some areas, the Bucs are going to go more of the route with the draft when it, when it comes to, to filling these needs, particularly at running back and offensive line. So with the free agency class, it kind of more is, is just looking at this group and seeing, okay, can we add this guy just for depth? Can we add that guy for depth? For example, for the offensive line, the Bucs are going to look at tackle in the draft. So in terms of offensive linemen and free agency that they're going to look to bring back, it's going to be more or less of the same of what they've been doing in free agency outside of Brady, which is just bringing back guys they already know. Uh, Earl Wofford is a guy that would be a great depth depth piece as a, you know, as a backup center and a backup guard in that situation. And the the Bucs, they've had conversations with DeMar Dawson, but obviously Bucks got a couple of other things they got to take care of before they make a make an offer to Dotson, but I can totally see Demar Dotson coming back, and then you have 
a guy that can be a right tackle because he was your starting right tackle last year. But most importantly, he's going to really, you know, push whoever they, they draft that right tackle and put some good competition in training camp and could be a mentor for this offensive tackle as the season goes on. Wide receiver is, is, uh, is an area that I think is really interesting because I do think they are going to address wide receiver in the draft. It's really just a matter of, are they going to pick a receiver in the second or third round, or are they kind of going to go a little bit later and go in the fifth or sixth round? There are a couple of free agent wide receivers that I- intrigue me. Some of them are obvious because they've had history with Tom Brady and that Philip Dorsett, who was on the Patriots last year and had five touchdowns. His contract was only $2.5 million. Chris Hogan is another guy. He missed pretty much all of last season with the Panthers. But again, his contract was only $1 million. So we're, we're talking about receivers that are, are inexpensive because I think Rashad Perryman, as important as he was to this Bucs team, he might have priced himself out of coming back to the Bucs with this, uh, with, with the great ending of the season that he had last year. But another name that kind of interests me, just because what else he can bring to the team, is Jermaine Curse. Jermaine Curse broke his leg last year, so he didn't really play much. He's 30 years old, but again, he's coming at a cheap cost at a position where the Bucs are going to go in the draft and third wide receiver. Yes, they use it in their offense, but at the end of the day, it's going to be all about Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So I think Jermaine Curse would be someone interesting just because he won a championship with Seattle. He brings that veteran experience for a team that has a lot of players that really haven't been to the playoffs. So I think he would be somewhat interesting. Demarcus Robinson from Kansas City is uh, is another guy that is really compelling given his speed, and he got some starting opportunities last year with some injuries on the Chiefs. And then uh, for running back, I was going to say Deion Lewis because he obviously played with Brady, but he just signed with the Giants about an hour or two before uh, we hopped on this phone call. So he's out of the running there. Yeah, you you brought up Chris Hogan, and I spent some of the weekend rewatching uh, some old Patriots games. And you know, I was watching the Patriots Falcons and the Patriots Rams and the Patriots Eagles. And um, you know, I watched some of the the ESPN programming that they had on on Sunday, where it was you know seven hours of Brady. Yeah, and uh, you know, Hogan was a guy that Brady liked to throw to a lot. And I had kind of completely forgotten he existed. And then, you know, you you brought him up as a free agent. And I immediately thought, you know what? That would be a really good, a really solid fit. And then you brought up Curse. And my ears kind of perked up. How do you think that dynamic would work? I mean, obviously, they're looking for somebody that would be that third receiver. But would that would that move Godwin to the slot, you know, on pretty much all three receiver sets? How would you see that? particularly playing out if he were to come in on a on a pretty cheap deal because we've heard that free agents are reaching out to the bucks instead of the bucks reaching out to free agents saying hey i want to come play with tom brady so you know they're they're going to have some options and some guys are going to be willing to take less money you know that that tom brady effect that we used to think was the patriots effect is is now in in tampa so how would you how would you see that kind of combination playing out well, they shouldn't really change much with Chris Godwin because, I mean, the season he had last year was just unreal. So, you know the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So Godwin should just keep 
staying in that in that slot position, the infamous Larry Fitzgerald position that everyone's been talking about. Don't change anything with Chris Godwin. I think with Curse, it, it's really more because Bruce Arians. This, this is what's going to be so interesting about with, with Brady coming here is Bruce Arians' offense has always been down the field, big plays like that, taking their shots, and he hasn't totally used tight ends much to his advantage in you know in, in his play calling career, at least as a head coach. Now you go with Brady, who as we as I spoke about before, notoriously works with tight ends. Sorry, got struck by something. Brady notoriously works with tight ends. So it's going to be interesting to see how Arians and Brady kind of mesh their offensive ideologies together. So Curse, I think, you know, you could put him on the outside. He's a versatile guy. You can move him inside as well. Maybe an, I, I see him as an important third third down option when you know they're going to double up Mike or Chris Godwin or, you know, send some kind of situation where they're going to have both their focuses on their top two wide receivers. And Curse just becomes a reliable guy on third down. But again, you get him cheap and it kind of turns into, well, now we're going to use Brady's options with uh, more throws to the running backs and the tight end. So I think you bring Curse in more, not necessarily from X's and O's situation, even though he can still produce when called upon. I mean, he had a, obviously everyone knows from Seattle, but he had some decent years with the Jets and then obviously he got hurt last year. So this is a guy that has a ton to prove. And I think uh, really his versatility is just how he's going to be most uh, utilized in, in a, in a box offense. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of good stuff, Matt. Um, honestly, that's a name I haven't really thought of. So, yeah, definitely per- or piqued my interest as well. And then, uh, obviously, you know, the Buccaneers still have time to make whatever moves um, in, in free agency leading up until the draft in April. But whatever they don't, whatever holes they don't fill or wherever they don't add in free agency, they're going to have to add through the draft. And, again, kind of referring back to your battle plan, uh, in your battle plan, you had the Bucks franchise tagging James Winston. Obviously, that's not what happened. So I'm, I'm curious as to how – the the initial free agency period has actually gone versus kind of how your battle plan had it going, which, you know, uh, and how that might've affected the draft. And for those who, I don't know why you haven't, but for those who maybe haven't read it, um, one, go read it. But uh, just to recap for the offense, Matt, you had Georgia offensive tackle, Andrew Thomas in the first round, uh, Florida state running back cam makers in the third Washington, Washington offensive lineman, Nick Harris in the fourth, which I love by the way, Uh, Georgia quarterback, Jake Crom also in the fourth. And then uh, Liberty wide receiver Antonio Gandy Golden, who's gotten a lot of like sleeper love, kind of dark horse, uh, really solid receiver in this class, who definitely probably wouldn't be a, a day or well, a round five guy anyway uh, in most classes. So, with the addition of Joe Haig, obviously the signing of Tom Brady, you know, signals that there's got to be a young guy in the shoot somewhere for the Buccaneers' future at quarterback. Has, has it impacted really? Because you're, well, your battle plan also had Melvin Gordon, right, coming in the Bucs, which we obviously now know he's going to Denver. So Cam Akers yeah. in the third, like has any of those have any of those priorities shifted based off of what happened? Like is running back now more of a second round target for you and quarterback? Is that more maybe a third round target versus a fourth or are things pretty much boiling out the same, even though the names are, are different? Yeah, I would say it's someone is pretty much similar because the Bucs is still going to need a right tackle. So that doesn't really change much uh, for my first round overall pick. The Bucs are obviously going to need a running back now because they haven't picked one up in free agency yet. And Peyton Barber's not coming back. So really, you just have uh, Dare and 
Ronald Jones on uh, on the roster as running back, and T.J. Logan is more of just a uh, kick return guy at this point. Really, the big question is drafting a quarterback for the future. Do you want to take someone early, like an Eason or a Love, if they're available in in the second or, or third round, or do you want to roll the dice with maybe a quarterback next year? That's really all that changes for me in terms of what you want to do in the draft. And I mean, my whole thoughts with, with Jameis coming back, if Jameis was the quarterback is what do you want to do? You want to give him a defense and you want to give him a running game. Two things that people have argued for years that Jameis hasn't had. But now with Brady at the quarterback, I mean, he's going to make the offensive line better just because, you know, Brady's, Brady's, in his 40s, he he's a smart player. He's going to know when to get rid of the ball. He's going to avoid a lot more sacks than Jameis has because, I mean, we've seen Jameis play. He, sometimes he holds on he holds on to the ball just a just a little bit more. Um, but with that said, I'm I, I'm still I'm I'm still want to get another offensive lineman in there in the interior because Brian Jensen's not going to be around forever and. I don't think it'd be such a bad idea to give Alex Kappa some competition this summer in, in training camp. Because is the Bucks offensive line really just, oh, hey, we just need a right tackle and all of a sudden we're going to be fixed and we're going to be the best offensive line in the league? I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I think the Bucks offensive line was, was average last year. But to, for anyone to say that they can't upgrade on the offensive line, I mean, outside of Ali Marpet, and Donovan Smith is obviously getting a lot of money, but there's no reason why if you can get someone better and plug them in at, at right guard, why wouldn't you do that? So, yeah, not, not much really changes in terms of what I would do in the draft because they still need a running back and offensive line. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like looking at your at your draft, I mean, it. I, I honestly could still see it going the exact same way, even though, like I said, some of the names in your battle plan have not you know fallen in those places. But still, I mean, I think the team kind of stands – in the same place, which is funny because uh, I was actually going through some mock drafts this weekend, kind of thinking like, oh, man, like this is really going to change, you know, the kind of strategy of stuff I'm going through. I'm like, oh, no, not not really, actually. It's just pretty much the same. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, but I think the biggest thing that's going to affect the Bucks in the draft is the teams that have traded to go ahead of them. With, with Arizona moving up, I mean, they could be drafting an offensive tackle now because they got their wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. So that changes a lot. So let's just say those four tackles are off the board right there. Then you're kind of thinking by the time the Bucks are going to pick, then you're kind of thinking, all right, well, maybe this is where if they don't re-sign Dominican Sue, okay, this is where we go with Javon Kinlaw. But now you got the Niners with the 13th pick and mm-hmm. they just trade one of their defensive linemen. So there goes Kinlaw off the board at 13. That's the biggest change for the Bucks. Yeah, that that the Niners uh, swooping into pick thirteen is very interesting to me too. And I know uh, the the mock draft that we reviewed for our Monday episode was Joe Marino's from the Draft Network, and he has the 49ers going cornerback. Um, I think a lot of people kind of assume that they're basically going to, uh, you know, they they moved out to Forrest Buckner to the Colts, and they're basically going to rebuild or, or re-fortify that defensive line with that thirteenth pick, or even go defense at all. I almost kind of wonder if they feel like their defense is good enough as is to get them back to the playoffs, to help them back to the playoffs. And they don't maybe make a move to really go all in to help Jimmy G. 
seeing that he's, you know, he's not a bad quarterback, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's a little bit limited. So, you know, maybe they go for a wide receiver, you know, at that pick, or maybe they go for maybe a more dynamic. I don't think running back at 13 really makes a lot of sense, but, you know, I almost kind of wonder if maybe the Niners are a bigger wild card than we think they are from the, from the aspect of, I mean, what's going to keep them from swooping in and taking Andrew Thomas at 13, you know? So yeah, yeah. the Niners are a really interesting pick because we've been so focused on the Colts. It was like Quentin Nelson all over again. Like the Colts are going to come in and take the guy that the Bucks fans want yeah, right? right before the Bucks <laughs> pick. But now I'm like, well, maybe John Lynch is going to do the same thing in an effort to get back to Tampa and win a Super Bowl with his now franchise in, in the home of his old franchise. Yeah, those are all very valid points. It is very much like the, uh, the Quentin Nelson situation. But hey, it worked out for the Bucks in that draft. All right, you are listening to the Locked on Bucks podcast. We are joined by Matt Matera of Pewter Report and the Pewter Nation podcast. Matt, we we get a lot of voicemails, and every once in a while, we get questions from Twitter, and, and David and I like this one, and we want you to, to help us answer it. So Ricky from Twitter, at destined underscore for greatness, that's D-E-S-1-0-E-D underscore number four gr number eight nes took yeah, me simple, about ten, simple right took me about 10 minutes to decipher <laughs> i'm like what is he trying oh destined for greatness that's clever um yeah. ricky asks and we'll start with you you can give your answer first of course would you or he says would love to hear your opinion on a better wide receiver tandem for brady moss and welker in new england or Evans and Godwin in Tampa Bay. So, Matt, who who do you think is the better tandem for Tom Brady? Wow, that's a really that's a good question and a very tough question. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen how Brady looks with with Godwin and Evans. If you were just going to power rank them individually, you'd say Moss, Evans, or Godwin. You can you can switch them in, in either one, and then Welker four. But if you're talking duos, oh, man, it's extremely close. But I think I'm going to go with Evans and, and Godwin because you're talking about two Pro Bowl players and potentially, in my opinion, all pro players at, at some point in their career. Moss is one of the greatest receivers of all time, but I think Welker is a slot guy and, you know, the, the Patriots were able to replace him with Edelman and kind of like really didn't skip a beat where I feel like Evans and Godwin are, you can't really replace those guys. What they do down the field, what they do, especially Godwin with the ball in his hands, they're, they're threats in, in more ways than one. They don't just go downfield. They are, they're able to create such good uh, separation. They're good route runners and, and, they're physical as well. So I think they just bring a little more to the table combined than versus Moss and, and Welker, but a, uh, a really tough question. David, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I agree that it, it's very, a, a very tough question. Um, I think it's, it's hard. You can't, you can't, I think Mike Evans is on a trajectory where potentially from a, from a statistical output standpoint, maybe someday he could, you know, eclipse Randy Moss. I still think from a physical attributes standpoint i think randy moss is kind of you know probably one of the most complete wide receivers ever play the game but so the way i'm gonna do this is james you know i love numbers randy moss's best season with the new england patriots came in his first year with the patriots 2007 where he caught almost 1500 yards 23 touchdowns 
Wes Welker that same season caught uh, or, or caught the ball for 1,100 yards, almost 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns. So I kind of think to myself, could this version of Tom Brady with this Mike Evans and this Chris Godwin match or exceed those numbers? And I think they can. I really, I really do believe they can. I don't know if either Mike or Chris is going to exceed Randy's numbers by themselves, but I think can they combine for 30 touchdowns and and 2,500 yards? I think they could. Um, like like you said, Matt. I mean, it's not going to be all on you know deep passes like a lot of them were to Randy Moss. I think there's going to be you know some slants and and maybe some screen passes that kind of get broken loose. We saw Chris uh, take a take a nice pass, you know, uh, all the way down the field, make some guys miss, break some tackles, and, and he's certainly capable of doing those things. I think these guys are motivated enough. Anybody who saw the Mike Evans Fortnite video knows that it's it's a pretty exciting time. Um, so I think these guys will be motivated. <laughs> I think it's he a close. Yeah, he was he was pretty happy. I think it's a close competition, but I give the edge to Evans and Godwin. I really do. Ooh, yeah, it's it's tough. I would say. In a vacuum, you you take Evans and Godwin. That duo, I think, is more dangerous and better overall than Moss and Welker. For Brady, it's going to be interesting because the Brady that Evans and Godwin get isn't the Brady that Moss and Welker had. So he's going to have to adjust a little bit. They're going to have to adjust a little bit. You know, the big thing about Brady and Moss, especially in uh, in that first season in New England, was the deep ball. And a lot of it was the air yards. Now, Brady can't exactly sling it quite as far as he used to, but that doesn't mean he can't push the ball down the field. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I would say, yeah, as as a tandem, I think Evans and Godwin edge out Moss and Welker. And that's definitely not a slight against Moss in the least. but something interesting we are we are yet again on thousand yard watch because if mike evans is able to get that thousand yards in the 2020 season he will be the only wide receiver to ever have seven consecutive thousand yard seasons to start a career right now he's tied with with moss his idol growing up but in that seventh year Moss only had 767 yards. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, Ricky, it's a great question. But, yeah, I think the consensus here in trying not to be homers, obviously, is that as a duo, Godwin and Evans are better than than Moss and Welker. What if you changed Welker to Edelman? So it's Moss and Edelman. I might actually be inclined to take Moss and Edelman if that was the question. I'd have to think about it more, but. I might I think too. It changes it a little bit. It definitely changes it. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It definitely causes a little bit more pause if it's Edelman instead of of Welker. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I like Wes Welker, but you know he you know, Moss Moss being that number one, you know Welker's skill level doesn't make up for how good Evans and Godwin are together. But yeah, you throw Edelman in there, and that ooh that makes it even tougher. So, all right, gentlemen, we are up against the clock. So, Matt, really appreciate you coming on the show, talking some uh, some free agency moves and some Bucks offense with us. Where can the good folks find all the excellent work that you do? Go to PeterReport.com for all your top 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers news and make sure to listen to the Pewter Nation podcast, which I am a, uh, I guess you could say co-host. We, we got a lot of people on the show, uh, but I am also the editor of it. So pewterreport.com and Pewter Nation podcast. All right. And of course you can follow him on Twitter at Maddie four under or Maddie underscore four Matera, correct? It's Maddie four underscore Matera. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a pain to say, maybe I'll switch it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Please make sure you're checking out all the outstanding work that Matt does for Pewter Report and the Pewter Nation podcast. You can find everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure that you're sending us your voicemails to 813-444-5841 and follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Got another special guest coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands. We hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day, and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks.